This is the Yob ConvoCast, one-on-one conversations with your other brother's authors, community members, supporters, and friends. What's up, friends, and welcome to the Yob ConvoCast, colon, surprise, it's still the Enneagram edition. <laughs> I am so excited that the Enneagram ConvoCast series will not die. It will continue again for another episode. This will actually be the last episode. I feel a little bit of self-deceit if I'm going to foreshadow some of the content for this episode. Because um, I ended our last episode on the Enneagram 7 fully aware that that wasn't the last episode. I lied to you. I lied to all of you. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for doing it. But I just thought, you know what? We need an episode to really tie this together. It felt kind of awkward. Even as I was finishing that conversation with Daniel, I was like, wait, wait, that's it? And he, and he was ending on a penis joke? Like, this cannot be it. This cannot be the end of the Enneagram ConvoCast series. Um, I have more thoughts to share. And more than thoughts to share, I have another guest to share. Because, you know, around the wheel of the Enneagram, we got to talk with Ryan. We got to talk with Aaron. We got to talk with Will. Um, and those guys appear quite frequently on the Yobcast. And so it was really great to dive into their Enneagram types and get to know them on a deeper level one-on-one as far as how they identify on the Enneagram. But there is one man on the on the Yobcast team that we haven't gotten to really connect with one-on-one yet. Um, even though he did appear on the Yobcast where we talked about the Enneagram. You guys remember the Yobcast? That was the thing we used to do. <laughs> We'll get back to the Yobcast soon. But I just thought we couldn't go this series without visiting the final member of that crew um, who appears regularly, who does such a good job coming on to those episodes and sharing um, and getting to dive into his Enneagram type or or types or question marks. Like this is the Enneagram question mark episode where anything goes, anything flies. It's the wild west of the Enneagram. And I've got my brother, Ben Rutkowski here. What's up, Ben? Hey, Tom, thanks for having me on yet again. Although I suppose I can stop <laughs> thanking you at this point since it's regular, but as always, thank you. That's such a six move of you or a two move of you or a nine move of you to be so reconciliatory toward me. But yeah, no, you are always welcome here. And it's, I'm glad, I'm glad we were able to coordinate because you've had, a, you've had a busy season, haven't you? You've been out and about and moving around and I feel like I feel like I'm so I'm so fortunate to have you here because I feel like you've been in, in a time of transition, right? Yeah, it feels like I've been in transition for the last several months, but now it seems like things were starting to slow down, but they're picking up again, and maybe we'll get to that later. But yeah, life is busy, so just keep going. Just keep swimming, as a Disney movie says. Um, we won't, we won't say which one, but I am glad you're here. I'm glad you're here to tie a bow actually though, on this Enneagram series. I'm not lying to the listeners again, or am I? (laughs) Maybe, maybe your other brothers is just an Enneagram community now. Maybe that's just who we are. Navigating faith, homosexuality, masculinity, and the Enneagram together. (laughs) Did you ever as a kid watch The Land Before Time? Yes. So they're like up to what? The Land Before Time, 27. There reaches a point where it just got absurd and they still kept going. Didn't so, they use, did they use Roman numerals? I'm trying to remember if their movie titles used Roman numerals. <laughs> Maybe they like, didn't. Yeah, that sounds right. I think they did. I was like, it's just kind of funny. The Land Before Time, XVII, 
or something. Yeah, I, I didn't watch every single one of them, obviously, but I saw a good number of them growing up. Good well, stuff. As you said, you know, we're in theory done with the Enneagram, but who knows? Maybe there'll need to be another one in oh, the future, yeah. much like the land before time. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to overwhelm the listeners because there are some there are some listeners legitimately would love more Enneagram content all the time. Um, but I recognize that's not everybody. I know, you know, I'm I feel like I'm self-aware enough to know. Um, so so never say never. We can revisit Enneagram topics. I definitely have ideas in the future, but but I wanted to to, to do this episode, the the Enneagram question mark episode. The way I'm framing this episode, um, and I'm glad you're here, Ben, because you have not solidified your own Enneagram type. You mentioned that on our Yobcast about the Enneagram that that you see a lot of two in you. It was two, six, and nine, right? Those are the the three numbers that you kind of resonate with the most. Yeah, two, six, and nine. Nine is probably the the weakest among those, but then again, maybe it's the strongest since nines have a hard time really identifying themselves. So who knows? Right, right, right. So yeah, so this is this is an episode for the Enneagram wanderers who are wandering between types, trying to figure out which one feels the most at home with them or the one that they feel the most at home in. And then also for the Enneagram prodigals is how I'm dubbing them. People who just either don't care about the Enneagram or they've tried to figure it out and it's just too confusing or they just don't know where to even begin. And so they're kind of apathetic, but they see, hopefully if they're listening to this episode, they see the value in the content and how it relates to our sexuality and masculinity, how we're wired, um, what's what are good wirings and healthy patterns to follow and what's um, just like some self-awareness. It's all about self-awareness and learning um, yeah, the ways the ways we operate in this world and ways to improve and ways to grow. Certainly as humans, but as Jesus followers in you know in a specific regard. So so it's for the any wanderers, the any prodigals, um, wherever you identify. And obviously, if you do identify on the Enneagram too, hopefully this is um, a great conversation. As we talk about, um, we're gonna dive into just to lay out the episode. We're gonna dive into a little bit more of an explanation of the gut heart and head types because that was sort of an underlying structural component of the way I did these episodes. Um, even though Daniel didn't understand that. We're gonna we're gonna just explain that a little bit. And then the bulk of the episode will be talking about the vices and virtues, um, which I'm really excited to to dive into. You know, we'll get as much as we can into this hour. But the vices and virtues, which were something that we were talking about in our corresponding Zoom calls, you know, all summer long we have these Zoom calls with our yobbers, our Patreon supporters. And it was really great, like in relation to these Enneagram convo casts that came out, we would talk about the vices or the virtues um, that correspond to those types during that week's Zoom call. So it was really fun. But yeah, this is like an opportunity to dive a little bit more into that because just because you're a four, I'm a four, I definitely do struggle with envy. But that doesn't mean that's the only struggle I have. Obviously, I struggle with a slew of those other vices too. And so, so this is a great episode to mix and match. This is like the buffet of the of the Enneagram topics. Like we used to be very focused the previous nine episodes just talking about those specific types. Um, and today we're just gonna like mix and match, pick and choose, um, talking about all the different vices and virtues, and then also talking about the gut, the heart, the head. We don't all just use one of those. We always use three of them, but there's one that we lean on more primarily, I believe. So we're going to talk about that as well. So, so Van, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready to dive into this smorgasbord with me. 
Definitely ready, or at least as ready as I can be. I know. I'll guide you. <laughs> I'll guide you along. Um, let, let me start off by saying this, going back to who this is for. Um, I was curious. I was curious how many people in our community actually voted in our Enneagram poll, because on Discord, which is the most accurate current um, gathering of, of our Enneagram stats, we have another poll on Facebook, but it's less accurate. Um, so I checked on Discord. And you know, it was a pretty decent amount. 58% of our community on Discord did vote for an Enneagram type. So they did decide, I am this, I am that. And whether it's accurate or not, I don't know, but that's what they did. They actually voted. Every vote matters. Um, but that leaves 42%. 42% of our community did not vote. Um, and either because they just don't care, they didn't see it, they're not active on Discord, or, or possibly they identify as multiple types and they just feel awkward picking one. Because I was very clear, like pick one, do not pick multiple types. So, um, so that's my hope. You know, we were reading stats about the different types on, on all these convo casts, and that's the stat for this episode. Is that, you know, forty-two percent of our community on Discord they didn't vote, have no idea, fit into one of those categories. So, um, so yeah, I see a lot of opportunity here to um, to speak to them too, because we've spoken to the sevens and the eights and the nines and ones and all of them, but now we're speaking to the the zeros. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever they, whatever number I, I kind of like type zero that's kind of fun that's kind of epic I think it's a little call it Enneagram ambiguous EA ambiguous. Oh. yeah something like that Enneagram ambiguous or Enneagram androgynous or I don't know we can we can play around with different labels and identifiers for this fluidity Enneagram fluidity <laughs> now that's too hard to say try that Enneagram fluidity okay if you're an Enneagram Kinsey scale three then this episode is for you <laughs> so um so let me let me do a recap on the types on the triads so we have the gut triad which are types eight nine and one the heart triad which is types two three and four and the head triad which are types five six and seven um, the information I'm about to read, you know, I'm going to give Truity a break because I, I've been calling out Truity or referencing Truity for like 10 episodes now. Um, this comes from EnneagramExplained.com. You know, I had so much fun Googling all these different Enneagram sites. There are like a million Enneagram blogs out there. Um, so this EnneagramExplained.com blog um, did a good job of piecing this together about what they all mean in case you didn't already put it together. Um, because I think this is a great starting point if you're not sure what type you are. Um, figuring out which of these intelligence centers that you're dominant in, I think that can be a great starting point to start to narrow it down um, if you're trying to, if you're trying to narrow it down. Um, and again, it's not to say that if you're a heart type, you don't use your head, or if you're a gut type, you don't use your heart. Um, there is just one that we lean on. The way I like to look at it is like we're all either, most of us are either right-handed or left-handed. Some of us are quite ambidextrous, so shout out to you guys. But like, that's our dominant hand. We'll use our dominant hand for writing or for picking up things. But that's not to say that if I'm standing somewhere and there's something on my left, but I'm right-handed, that I'm not going to just pick it up with my left hand. Like I'll still use my left hand, but even though my right hand is the one I'm going to use more dominantly without thinking about it in most situations. So that's an example I would use as far as these intelligence centers is that I think there's one that we all kind of rely on more than the others, but we also need the others to give us balance in life. So all that to say this, here's what the gut types are all about. The eights, nines, and ones, they all take in life through their instincts, their gut, and generally respond based on what their instinct is telling them to do. 
Eights, nines, and ones are all concerned with justice. They are seeking autonomy and their underlying issue is anger. So when I read these, there's gonna be a concerned with, there's gonna be a seeking, and there's gonna be an underlying issue. So the eights, nine, and ones concerned with justice, seeking autonomy, and underlying issue is anger. Eights tend to display their anger in hopes of controlling it. Nines tend to deny their anger in hopes of not upsetting anyone. And ones tend to repress their anger in hopes of achieving perfection. So there's the underlying issue of anger with all of those, and those three types um, respond to anger in those three very specific ways. The twos, threes, and fours are the heart center. They all take in life through their feelings, and they generally respond based on what their feelings are telling them to do. Twos, threes, and fours are all concerned with their image. They are seeking attention, and their underlying issue is shame. Here's how they respond to shame. Twos tend to focus their feelings outward in hopes of not feeling their shame. Threes tend to deny their feelings in hopes of resisting shame. And fours tend to focus their feelings inward in hopes of avoiding deeper shame. Um, and then finally, the fives, sixes, and sevens all take in life through their thinking with their head and generally respond based on what their minds are telling them to do. Fives, sixes, and sevens are all concerned with strategies. They are seeking security and their underlying issue is fear. Fives tend to be anxious of the outside world and thus try to isolate themselves. Sixes tend to be anxious internally and thus are always playing worst case scenarios. And sevens tend to deny or try to deny their anxiousness and thus are always keeping their minds and bodies busy. So that was a lot of reading, a lot of information. I'm very curious how Ben has any thoughts to this because what was what was very curious to me, Ben, is the three types that you're unsure about, two, six, and nine. I, just, I don't know if you've realized this, but each of those types represent a different triad you know, the twos part of the heart triad, the sixes part of the head triad, and the nines part of the gut triad. So I'm just very, I just noticed that as I was preparing this episode, and I'm really curious as I read all that, is there one that feels stronger than the others? Do you see yourself in all of those? Like, I, I just want to hear from you about, about those intelligence centers. So I know this is the Enneagram episode, but I feel like I need to lean out just a little bit and rope in Myers-Briggs just a hair. Okay, I'll allow it. <laughs> Thank you. So in theory, um, I am an ENFJ. And so there's an element there of like intuitive feeling. Uh, one of the things that ENFJs do is we feel something and we perceive it to be true and we act on it. And then, you know, after the fact, we might go back and, um, you know, try to figure out our reasoning for getting there. In some ways, it's kind of proof texting after the fact to justify our choices at our worst. Other times, it's, you know, being able to read a situation and come to a decision quickly and afterward figuring out why. So with the idea of having, um, you know, different things for head, for heart, for body, I think to some degree, especially, you know, the idea of a nine, you, you feel something on a gut level. It's instinctual. And at the same time, though, there's probably emotion associated with each situation as well. And it's really hard to separate those out and say, yes, it's a gut level thing versus, ooh, this is what I'm feeling in the moment. 
And then afterward, you know, the head type to think it through and go, okay, so how did I get here? Um, I kind of read that through the lens of an ENFJ and what that looks mm. like in practice, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. It really does. Um, something as I was, as I was, um, taking some notes on this and, and considering my own life, cause I'm going to give myself permission, even though you're the guest and I want to hear a lot from you, of course, um, I'm giving myself permission to share as well, since this is the, the Enneagram, whatever episode, whatever this is, whatever this episode's title. Um, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about these centers. Cause obviously I'm, I'm a four, I identify with that and the heart center, um, rereading the fours again, it's, they focus their feelings inward in hopes of avoiding deeper shame. Um, seeking attention, concerned with image, like all of that resonates very strongly with me. Um, but I was also thinking about that because I didn't want to just say, oh, I'm so heart feely and I have no head and I have no guts and I have like, it's just all feelings all the time. Um, and that's not true because I was thinking about my life and critical decisions. Um, and like, when have I relied on my heart? When have I relied on my head? And when have I relied on my gut? Um, and some very interesting ones came up. Um, that I just would rattle, wanted to rattle off real quick. Um, starting with my head, like I remember when I was in college, I went to a Christian college my first year, um, which was a wonderful experience. Like I'm glad I got to leave home. I got to, it was three hours away. I got to leave home. It was a fairly small Christian university. Um, actually, it wasn't a university. It was a college. Let's be let's be clear. It was not no university, but but it was it was like a great experience. But it was also expensive and in the state of Georgia where I was at the time, I could actually go to college for free because I had a, a good enough GPA and I was a resident of the state of Georgia. If I went to a public university, that was the caveat is that you have to go to a public university. And so after that first year, you know, and a lot of it was because I was homesick. So I'm not going to lie and say that there wasn't a part of my heart that wanted to be back at home, back with my dog. Let's be real. It's my dog more than my family. But, um, but I was just like, you know what, this is hard. I just want to, I want to be more comfortable. But that wasn't the dominant decision maker. It honestly wasn't like it was a head decision of like, it's financially more responsible to take advantage of this scholarship that I can access um, and to go to a higher quality, more notable university. I, I went to the University of Georgia, shout out to our Enneagram three, Adam, <laughs> who, who gave, gave me a lot of grief for hating on hating on UGA during that convo cast. Um, but yeah, that was a head decision to be like, that just makes more sense. It makes more sense financially. It makes more sense for a career. And um, and my heart was definitely involved, but I think my head was the driver of that decision. So that's that's one example for me using my head. Um, and then something else that came to mind for using my gut. I had this like crazy idea a few years ago. Um, I was in the, it was, I was in, this was pre-COVID. So I was in the spate of just wanting to travel. And a lot of it was because I just want to see new places. Like, I'm not going to lie. And so that's part of the reason why I love to travel. But Yab was just getting off the ground. A bunch of people were joining the community. And there was something really exciting to me about traveling to different parts of the country or different parts of the continent to include our neighbors to the north. Um, and I just wanted to meet with our, our amazing readers and listeners. Like, I got to meet good old Will Cooper for the first time during that year. I called it the year of flights. And it was something that something that I came up with like end of December, 2017, going into January, 2018, where I had this idea, I just wanna fly. I wanna get on an airplane once a month, all year long. So 12 months, 12 flights, I called it my year of flights. 
Um, I took a lot of video footage, obviously a lot of photography, and I just felt this thing in my soul. This is what I need to do. I need to do it. And don't ask me why or, or why it's important to me, but I just had this feeling that I just need to go and connect with our community because I'm pretty sure on every single one of those flights, except for maybe one, maybe two, um, I was constantly meeting members of our community, bloggers, people who have appeared on the podcast at this point. Um, and it was just such a great thing. And I don't know where it came from, this idea, this thing inside me, but this was a gut decision that I just felt like certainly wasn't a head decision because that did cost me financially. To, and I tried to find some good deals throughout the year. But um, but this gut decision to just connect with our community and travel and meet new people, go to new places, um, the year of flights was was a huge reason that I think my gut was a response was responsible for. And then another gut decision was starting Yob. I'll be honest. Like I think when I read that part about seeking justice about eights, nines, and ones, the the gut triad, seeking justice. Um, I think when we started Yob, me and my friends back in 2015, there was this sense. Call it justice. Call it just like a responsibility. Um, justice sounds right because it just felt like we needed. Like we had a home with each other, why not create a home for other people who are homeless, spiritually homeless or relationally homeless? Um, and it almost felt like a justice issue that this is the just thing to do. And if we don't do it, we're like being unjust. We're not doing our responsibility. Um, and so helping you know launch this community with 10 other guys was um, a big gut decision that just felt in my bones, in my soul, the right thing to do. And so... Um, so this whole community, I feel like comes from that place of a gut decision and, and I believe Holy Spirit's involved in that as well. But, um, it was definitely this feeling that I couldn't shake that I just had to follow through with it. And, um, and that stands out to me as, as a gut decision that I've made, um, along with all the heart decisions I could go, I could go on for hours about heart decisions I made something that, that I think came up a little bit during our conversations with twos, threes, and fours was, um, a difficulty in leaving relationships. I think I think that's something I've struggled with as a four in having my heart attached to certain people. And it just feels wrong to betray that. Even though my head and my gut might be telling me this is not healthy, this is a improper situation, get out, leave this person. There's a lot in me that's the heart that outweighs those two. Um, and I know that I've stayed in relationships with people um, past the point where it was mutually beneficial or certainly beneficial to me. And so that that is something that stands out to me from a relational standpoint as a heart type that I've, um, you know, my heart's taking me to a lot of good places, but if I trust my heart all the time, it cannot be, uh, it can take me to unhealthy places too. So that's something I wanted to say is that just because you you have a heart type or a head type or a gut type doesn't mean that will always lead you to positive decisions. Like you really do need to rely on these other intelligence centers to give you some balance. What about you, Ben? Any decisions come to mind as I as I went through my little run of decisions? So I think I brought up before that I'm now uh, going to school, looking at being a counselor, and I would say at least part of that decision. Um, you know, I can I can think through you know the nine in me, the the two in me, the six in me. Um, you know why each of those would would go in that direction. Uh, Definitely from, from the nine perspective, uh, seeing, you know, people in pain, seeing that there's a lot of injustice, particularly towards sexual minorities and just wanting to, to step in and, you know, advocate there. Um, but at the same time, is that, is that an emotional response as well? You know, is that, um, is that more of a emotion-based thing? Is that a sixth thing? Uh, a lot of a lot of sixes are, are community builders. They 
they end up jumping in in community outreach programs. Um, and at the same time, also uh, a two, you know, wanting to wanting to take care of others, wanting to uh, wanting to be wanted, wanting to be needed. I, I can't say that I'm completely selfless, you know, going into being a counselor. It feels good to be able to see change in other people's lives and know that, uh, you know, I helped that I was able to step in and contribute. I think there's a lot of overlap between being a being a pastor and being a counselor, or at least there can be. I view counseling as kind of like uh, a more specialized form of discipleship. And so why do why do people disciple others, uh, you know, in, in Christian context to teach people how to follow Jesus? You know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, why is Paul doing that? Is it for his own self-glorification? No, it's genuinely loving the other person, wanting to see them look more like Jesus. In the counseling context, uh, you're not always going to get to point people to Jesus, but the very real idea of common grace, there's pain and there's suffering in the world. And anything that we can do to step in and be an instrument of salt and light and reconciliation of, you know, if I can use the metaphor, shining light into the darkness, beating back the darkness, um, helping people to have hope and peace. I can see that as an outgrowth of uh, a nine, a six or a two. So. I don't know if it's a lack of self-awareness to my part that I can't point at any one of those and say, here's the exact underpinning reason. But again, I think it's all, it's head, it's heart, it's gut, it's all of those things working together. So yeah, maybe I do land as a, as a nine, perhaps, maybe. It's it, the, the pendulum keeps swinging. We never know where it's going to land. You know, it's funny because when I, because, you know, I've been anticipating talking to you for several weeks now to close out the series. We've been talking, we've been talking behind the scenes. Um, and so I had this idea that after we talk about all the definitive types, then we're going to have Ben come on and I'm going to like basically investigate him for an hour and, and decide for him <laughs> what his type's going to be. And then as we got closer, I was like, you know what? Anyone's Enneagram type, if they choose to figure that out for themselves, that's on them. I'm not going to be the investigator. I'm not qualified. I don't have an Enneagram degree, even though Daniel was calling me coach in the last episode. You know, I know a lot about the Enneagram, but I, there's a lot I don't know. And I think it is ultimately for everyone to decide for them if that's appropriate. Because I think the benefit of not landing on one specific type is being more open to these other concepts. I think I've encountered that um, in studying the Enneagram and talking to people is sometimes people get so locked into their type and they know how they're wired and all the self-awareness is good. But then, but then there's like, what about things that we can learn from other types and ways that that can apply to our lives? And so I think I like, I like your perspective that you can draw from twos and sixes and nines, um, all these different intelligence centers. And we're about to move into vices and virtues. Um, there's definitely virtues to be gleaned from across the, across the Enneagram spectrum. So um, so yeah, I'll just, we'll just, we'll just keep feeling this out, Ben, you and I together. We'll see where, where we go this episode. Um, but I'm definitely curious just to see if anything materializes and if nothing does, that's totally, that's totally fine. I did take the, I mentioned this on the last episode. I took the Enneagram Institute's quiz, um, which was like, it was no joke. It was like 150 questions. I think it took me a half hour to, to, to get through it all. So if you, if you would like it, it would cost $12, Ben, but if you want 12 bucks from the Yob um, community, I can, I can 
Venmo you <laughs> if you're interested. So just let me know. <laughs> I could have had you do that before this episode, but I know you've been a busy you've been a busy boy lately. Yep, never actually taken the the official uh, Enneagram Institute test. Just a bunch of the free ones online. So you know, it's a doozy. And if you want to do it, I'm I'm serious. I'll, I'll shoot that to you because it's it was fun. It's like you pick between two options every single time. So it's like, does this resonate more or does this resonate more? And they encourage you to not think about it. Like whatever your gut tells you, like first reaction, like this feels more like me. And you just click that and you do that 150 times. Um, and then it gives you a rundown of your nine types, which one you score the most in, which one you score the least in. And so for me, four was off the charts. Um, I remember five was number two. I was really hoping that type seven would be higher up there and it was dead last because uh, I'm so annoyed. I'm then, I'm then talking this episode about why I think I might, about why there are parts of seven that have made me convinced I might be a seven in my life, but alas, the Enneagram Institute has decided I'm definitively not a seven. Um, I wanna read about vices and virtues now because I find these really fascinating. Um, each Enneagram type has a center vice or a center virtue as well on the flip side of that. Um, and this information comes from ninetypes.co. Um, I'm gonna post the links to both of these, both the Enneagram explained about the intelligence centers and then the ninetypes.co about the vices and virtues. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna read them off just to give us some, some context for what we're even talking about. Um, and then basically as we finish out this episode, you know, here we are at the very end, Ben, um, we're gonna talk about vices and virtues and how those apply to our sexuality and to our sense of masculinity, how we connect with other men. So the vices, to give a recap, we mentioned them briefly during our convo cast, but they never really came up a huge amount in our conversation, a little bit here and there, certain types more than others. But um, the vices of the Enneagram types, for type eight, it's lust. For type nine, it's sloth. For type one, anger. For type two, pride. For type three, deceit. For type four, envy. For type five, avarice. For type six, fear. And for type seven, gluttony. So those are the nine vices of the Enneagram. And then contrast that with the nine virtues of the Enneagram. For type eight, innocence. For type nine, right action. For type one, serenity. For type two, humility. For type three, veracity. For type four, equanimity. For type five, non-attachment. For type six, courage. And for type seven, sobriety. So those are the nine virtues of the Enneagram. And what I'm gonna do now, because they laid this out really well, whoever runs this website did such a good job, ninetypes.co. Um, I'm gonna read what each of those vices and virtues look like for each type. So I hope everyone who's listening, if you're driving in your car, if you're sitting in a coffee shop or in your living room, just close your eyes, just like soak in my amazing voice that I used to be very insecure about. And I'm just gonna read off each of these and then that'll give us the context for what all of these things even mean um, and how they apply to our sexuality and masculinity. So type ones, let's start with you. The vice of anger looks like this, channeled into hostility toward what is imperfect. It's directed at whatever is not ideal and trying to fix it. It's marked by criticism, judgment, or a sense of tension in the body. Contrast that with the virtue of serenity for a one. It looks extraordinarily calm, relaxed, filled with a sense of balance within the body. It allows life to be exactly what it is and without containment. It is freedom. For type twos, the vice of pride looks like this, a need to be important to people. 
cycling through self-elevation and devaluation. Viewing the self as the one who can deliver help without needing anything in return, and yet using expectation as a manipulation tactic. Contrast that with the two's virtue of humility. Looks like knowing how important they are without feeling the need to increase or decrease their self-worth. And it looks like letting go of the belief that others need them to survive and allowing the self to be exactly as important and worthy as they are. For the type three, the vice of deceit looks like this, an over-identification with the personality or the outer persona, believing that they have to earn love by being worthy, being the shape-shifting tendency itself, and taking on the ideas and desires of others as their own personal identity. Contrast the threes vice with the virtue of veracity. Veracity looks like this, being nothing but who they really are, without regard of what others think. Pure authenticity. Slowing down and acknowledging their own personal feelings, content to just be. For the type four, the vice of envy looks like this, a sense of lack, especially having to do with believing they are missing something that others have. Therefore, others are happier, better, more deserving. It looks like a sense of inner deficiency, and it feels inferior or superior by comparison. Meanwhile, the virtue of equanimity for a four looks like this balance in how they see the self and others, becoming detached from emotions in a healthy way. Emotions exist, but they're not in control becoming more grounded in their bodies and recognizing that they have all that they need. Nothing is missing. For type fives, the vice of avarice looks like this, withholding out of fear of depletion, holding too tightly to what they already have, things like resources and energy. It's the heart shutting down for both giving and receiving. And it's the compulsion to hoard, be it knowledge or energy. On the flip side, the virtue of non-attachment looks like this for a five, an open-handedness around emotions, energy, and resources, which leads to a sense of generosity. And you're in sync with the flow of life, no need to hoard time, knowledge, or energy, for there is no impending impoverishment. For types six, the vice of fear looks like a subconscious need to protect the self from everything happening around them. It's accelerating thoughts and conclusions as a result. This acceleration can feel like spinning in their minds. And it's a hesitancy to do anything permanent. And meanwhile, the virtue of courage for a six looks like this, taking responsibility for permanent action, not delegating authority or power to others, but taking charge and becoming the leader of their own life, doing things with the heart open and vulnerable and giving reassurance to oneself. For typed seven, the vice of gluttony looks like this. It's an indulgence of life, a desire to sample everything life has to offer without limitation, the pursuit of more, at least a little bit of everything. And it's jumping around from experience to experience. And on the flip side, the virtue of sobriety looks like this, being grounded in the moment, undistracted. It looks like being in touch with the self and with the present rather than running to the next jolt of excitement or interest. 
It's being focused on what is in front of them and truly experiencing their lives. And sobriety is coming home to a deeper part of the self. For type eight, the vice of lust looks like this. It's a passion for excess. It's living by this mantra, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. It can be about some sort of physical gratification, but it's mostly about finding a more intense experience and getting more out of life. And lust is often marked by reactivity. Contrast lust with innocence. Innocence responds in a fresh way to each moment without judgment, memory, or expectation. It's an openness and a vulnerability to be impacted by the moment. And it's often marked by non-reactivity. And then finally, the type nine, their vice of sloth looks like this, a psycho-spiritual laziness. It's a state of not being in touch with the core self. It's being asleep to the true essence, spending energy outside to keep the outside world out and the inside world in rather than paying attention to the self. And the flip side of that, the right action virtue looks like this. It really refers to right action, a sense of action that is ingrained in the core sense of self, total engagement with the self, and a willingness to act on it. It's a full commitment of the self to doing what is needed. So there you have it. The vices and virtues, this has been my Enneagram TED Talk, (laughs) which I did not come up with myself. Again, big shout out to ninetypes.co, I think that lays out those terms, because I know when I read that, I was like, what does right action mean? Or what is non-attachment or equanimity or whatever. Um, So that gives a little context. Again, I'll have a link to the episode um, on the blog. If you go to yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast, you can find our ConvoCast on this episode. Um, Or if you're listening, whatever app you're listening to, if you check the show notes, you should see the links to all those if if you care to peruse a little further. So that's a lot of reading. It's a lot of Tom time. I wanna go to Ben time now. Um, As I was reading those 18 count them, 18 terms. Um, I'm curious, Ben, maybe starting off with, uh, I don't know, do you want to start off in negative territory or do you want to start off in positive territory? (laughs) Does it make sense to end on a positive note, maybe? Uh, I I feel like listening to the vices, I mean, let's just have an altar call because again, (laughs) we can probably all identify on some level with each of those, some more strongly than others. But yeah, we can start with the negative, sure. I would say that makes more sense. Yeah, let's start with vices. Um, So those nine vices that we've referenced throughout these episodes, we're going to, again, this won't be a total deep dive, but I'm curious of the, you know, of the nine, does the two, six and nines vices stand out more or do any of the other vices stand out more? Like I want to, I want to dive into which ones jumped out at you the most. Yeah. So I would say that for, for me, um, the vice of fear is a lot stronger. So this, this flies in the face. Most people would say that I act like a two. But I don't think it's it's the vice of pride that usually comes in for me. I do like being important to people. And I think when I was younger, maybe a little bit less emotionally mature, like I needed to be important to people. Um, but that's not really as much of a motivator now. It's definitely fear, wanting to protect myself from what's going on around me that you know, comes up a lot. Um, you know, I've been asked is, is one of the reasons why I'm... Uh, you know, changing and going to be a counselor is that, is that a fear reaction? 
you know, and I've had to kind of kind of wrestle through that and ask, yeah, how much of this is motivated by fear for sure. As far as like the nine goes, though, with the idea of sloth, um, I heard somebody phrase it this way. Sloth isn't as much about being, you know, lazy. It's not like nine sit around all day, but it's not doing the self work, not diving in and understanding who you are. Um, you know, more taking care of other people, sort of like a two, which is why, again, nines have a hard time identifying themselves. Uh, I identify with that some. When you're taking care of other people, are you really paying attention to what's going on in your own head and your own heart? So, yeah, I can I can identify there as well. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. I mean, I, I mentioned it on, I forget if it was the two episode or the six episode or on the Enneagram, maybe it was on the Enneagram Yobcast episode. They're all bleeding together. But um, but I mentioned, I think it was on that episode, because I think I mentioned to you that I've had so many people in my life who have who have no idea if they're a two or a six. That's the most common, like um trying to figure out what type you are combination that I've that I've heard over and over. Like it's been multiple times. And you're one of those people that, you know, there's so much carryover between the two and the six and how we relate to other people. And I think it's just really interesting to, to expand upon that with these, with these vices. Um, I know for me, like I won't go on about envy because I talked about that during our Enneagram 4 episode, but that sense of lack, I mean, I see such a correlation to sexuality and masculinity, not feeling like the other boys, like the other boys had it, whatever that it factor was, and I didn't. Um, and so that's followed me ever since I was probably in second grade, third grade, like I can go back that early to feeling like I was different and that I didn't have what the other boys had and then wanted it and envied it and envied it in a sexual way and had these thoughts and fantasies and all these um, all these things that went along with those feelings of envy. As I'm looking at the list though, like something that really is convicting and jumps out at me is the type that I like knew very little about before I had this conversation with him and that was the Enneagram 3. So this vice of self-deceit, I, I identify as somebody with a five wing, but I think your other brothers is a fantastic, tangible example of me leaning into whatever part of a three wing I, ha I have in my life, this performer, this achiever person to create something which requires action, which requires not being stuck in my head and stuck in my heart, like requires like me buying the domain and setting up the blog, laying it out, you know, getting a schedule going for all these different events. Like it's forced me to perform. And the podcast, if I'm going to be even more specific, has really forced me to perform because I, you know, I don't know if people think of this as a performance, but to some extent, to some extent, what you're hearing is the real Tom. I'm not making up a completely different person to you. But to another extent, absolutely, it's a performance. This is, you know, we're all displaying whatever we choose to display on these 30-minute, hour-long episodes, um, myself more than the other guys. But, like, I see this, this vice of self-deceit, of, like, an over-identification with the personality or outer persona. Um, like, if this was me all the time, I would be deeply unhealthy. And so I'm glad that I'm not on a podcast, like, 18 hours a week or something because I don't know I don't think that would be healthy for me um but I can see just like you know the separation of of this podcast Tom to pick out this specific example versus the rest you know the 99% of the time that that I'm somebody else like um I could see that if this was more part of my life that this would be more because I get the sense from threes that being on stage having the spotlight can be very addicting to use to use that language um, and I think it's important to, we'll talk about um, the virtues, you know, in our next segment, but 
Um, I think it's important to practice veracity and to practice authenticity and to not always be performing for people and giving them what they want or what they think they want. So that's something that's challenging to me as we are a, a community built on vulnerability to, to find that balance of like making this show entertaining and interactive and all that stuff, but then also not sacrificing the true Tom in these conversations. So those jumped out a lot to me. Remind me if you would, what is your Myers-Briggs? I would be an INFJ, so we differ by one letter. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I'm curious how how that stacks up those interactions. We'll have to we'll have to save that for the Myers Briggs combo cast. <laughs> we joked on the last episode about someone in the community was like, "Yeah, y'all should do an or a Myers Briggs podcast." And I was like. Wow, get ready. Buckle up for 16 exciting episodes. Um, I was like, I can't wait to do the IS, ISFP episode. <laughs> so really niche, really niche comment. I'm sure people would listen to it, but we'll, I think, I think a better idea might be, just, just thinking out loud, might be doing like a four-part series of like talking about introversion and extroversion or talking about sensing and intuition and just like breaking it down into four, four episodes. Like that could be a thing we do. I could see that being being interesting um i'm trying to think like the other ones that jumped out at me because you know i have fear um i think the the seven the the seven wannabe in me looks at gluttony and resonates a lot with it particularly when i think about travel i think travel for me is where i get to be a total glutton a total whatever <laughs> whatever language like i think for me it's like i could never stop seeing national parks i could never stop seeing different cities different countries um, interacting with different people, which is not a bad thing, but if that's all my life is centered on is this pursuit of the next thing. Cause I've noticed it when I've traveled is that, you know, I lived on the road for a year and there were times where I really struggled with being present in the moment where I was with the people I was with, because I was constantly looking at the calendar and looking at the roadmap and being like, where am I going next? Can I secure my next lodging? How long am I going to be there? A lot of that's responsibility and proper planning, but a lot of it took me out of the present moment, which is what that struggle with gluttony and sobriety is all about. And so um, there's definitely a glutton in me as well. No lust though, no lust in me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, the vice of anger, um, the idea there, I think it depends on what the anger is directed towards, but I resonate with anger as well. Um, usually on behalf of other people, um, systems in particular. So again, not to eat up the church, because again, we are part of the church, the body of Christ. Um, but when the church uh, doesn't act perfectly, well, again, there's no such thing as the perfect church. Um, but, you know, we see how it's hurting people at times, uh, definitely anger towards that, wanting to fix it, wanting to, to actually see shalom, let's call it shalom and not just serenity, shalom within the church. That anger comes out and it's like, guys, guys, you know better, we should fix this. So I resonate with that too. Yeah, a lot of church angst. We've done some podcasts about that. And um, and I think Daniel actually referenced um, anger at the church or, or church groups and things like that in our last episode too. So I'm sure that is a common one in our community, I think. I've, I've always had a difficult time naming my anger because um, I've just always felt like, oh no, I'm 
I'm like better than that. Like the the ones that get angry are the the bullies and the the meatheads and the the awful the awful men. Um, those are the ones that get angry. I don't get angry, and that's been a big part of my journey, like in therapy and 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 I have some some ideas for things to write and put out in the future of of just ways that I've been able to process anger or am still processing anger. Um, as a sensitive boy, as a as a quote unquote like not angry person, but we all have anger um, to some degree, and where we direct it is another is another story. We're all different in that regard, but um, I think that's a powerful one to to name and to to begin to process for I'd imagine for a big portion of our community. I think the only other one I wanted to mention, um, I brought it up during our Zoom call was the vice of avarice because avarice is a big fancy word and i thought going into that zoom call you know because i don't know everything i don't know everything about the enneagram i i just always equated avarice with greed i've always kind of seen that in enneagram literature um that sometimes they might interchange those words avarice and greed and so when i think about greed i just think about hoarders you know we had a conversation with will about it and, and made the joke like good thing he's a pastor <laughs> as being a, a hoarder a, a greedy pastor but but it's not necessarily greed i think greed kind of short changes that word it's that you know to reread that again withholding out of fear of depletion um the compulsion not just to hoard things that could be part of it but it's the compulsion to hoard knowledge and energy um and I think a lot of times you'll see fives really struggle with isolation, um, feeling like, I like how they also put it, because when we look at the virtue of non-attachment, there is no impending impoverishment. And I know in my life, you know, I, there have been a, there's been a season of my life where I thought I was a five because it's my number two, according to the, to the Enneagram Institute test that I took, um, a strong number two for me. And it's definitely my five. It's my wing. Um, so I see a lot of myself in the five, um, a lot of it attached to my introversion, feeling like I only have this, I have a little bottle of energy that I have for the day or for the week. And once it's gone, it's gone. I need to get by myself. I need to travel somewhere alone. I need to not be interacting with anybody. I need to put my phone in the other room and not text or call anybody or whatever. And that sense of impending impoverishment, like on the one hand, it's being self-aware and realizing I do need alone time to, to recharge. Like that is definitely true and that's not a bad thing. But do I overdo it? Do I feel like I'm, I'm um, it's particularly with men, like this came up in our Zoom call, like men stress me out. <laughs> I love men, men are great, but they don't stress me out like women do. Like I could be with women and I'm not like needing to retreat from them and have like three months by myself to recharge. Whereas with men, like, yes, they fill me up and there's an energy that comes from my spending time with other men. But then there's all kinds of reasons why I might be overwhelmed by them or um, stressed out by them, or if it's too emotional or if it's too um, obsessive or addictive to be around them. Like there are times where I need to get away. And I think that's been a struggle in my life is learning when is it healthy to get away and when, um, and when does it feel like I'm like prejudging being with men because I assume they're going to drain me. And so I just don't even check in with them, whether it's men at my church or men in small group settings or men within Yab or men, just whatever the, the male circle is like, do I feel like I'm expecting to run out of energy or expecting to be drained by them when there is no impending impoverishment. I just really love that phrase so much. So, so that one was definitely convicting too. When I think about my, my sense of masculinity and just like the energy I get from other men, but also the drain that comes like, it honestly feels like a battery that's just 
overcharging, but how much of that is real and how much of it's in my head, like that's constantly something I'm having to assess as I continue this journey of, of, of growth. So Avarice is probably one that I should be more aware of. Um, I am more extroverted than introverted. And so I'll just label myself an ambervert though, because there are times I need to get away. And I'm a special little snowflake too. <laughs> no, I'm an ambervert. I'm an ambervert. I'm a special snowflake. So you're an ANFJ. You're not an ENFJ. <laughs> Something like that. Okay. Well, like the idea there, as you said, you know, like people, guys in particular, um, can be can be draining. I think for me, it's a lack of awareness at times of how draining people can be. Um, and I've noticed a pattern. Like for me, it's, you know, I'll have several days in a row where it's being around people and go, 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 you know, particularly like, you know, we have a gathering of, of side B folk. Um, but after that, I just feel so empty. It's not uncommon for me to fall into bed and to just sleep for 12 to 14 hours after those kinds of things, because I just feel completely depleted. Mm. Um, maybe if I was more aware of how much energy uh, is required, you know, I wouldn't fall into those places. Yeah. Look at us giving love to the fives in our community. Like I was honestly one of my favorite Zoom calls we had because we talked about avarice and we talked about you know, I, I had only discovered this website actually for that Zoom call, and I'm really sad that I didn't discover the website for all the other Zoom calls we had prior to that one. But um, that was a really good one to explore what avarice looks like and to to talk about that along with some of the other vices and virtues. That episode, it was it was a lovely lovely Zoom call, made possible by the Yabbers. Thank you, Yabbers. Um, all right, so Ben, those are a little bit, a little snapshot, a little, a little smorgasbord, a little buffet of of the vices. So let's let's go to the dessert bar now. Let's go to the um, <laughs> to the virtues because um, it's great. It's great to identify things that we struggle with. It's also great to identify points of growth and things that we excel in. And so I wanted I wanted to be self affirming. Like, what are these? What are some of these vices that stand or virtues rather that stand out to you as things that you are excelling in? Um, or maybe on the flip side, if you want to continue to um, be critical in a in a self improving way, are there any that jump out at you as things that you could use more work on, or or that the Lord is still doing some work on you in? Do any of those jump out? So again, as you said earlier, uh, twos and sixes are probably the most uh, confused as to you know which one am I? The virtue of of courage, um, recognizing that. I have feelings, that my feelings matter, that it's okay to take care of myself, and also that I'm not in control, that I can't always, you know, plan for everything. I can't always conceive of every possible scenario and, you know, try and have everything I need for it. And that's okay. It's okay to take care of myself and it's okay to not be in control all the time and to just be courageous and step out. That's one that I'm kind of leaning into, into more. Again, you know, my, probably my biggest, my biggest vice is fear, really trying to embrace uh, courageousness right now. Um, I think probably secondarily would be right action. Because again, if fear is my biggest motivator, um, do I ever not you know, act rightly because of that. Uh, again, doing what's right because it's right, stepping up and taking care of other people, advocating for them, even though I have no control over the outcome, uh, you know, of how people are going to respond 
to what I say or what I do. I'm only responsible for me and what I do. So probably those two, I would say, are the ones that I'm trying to work on the most that resonate with me is like, yes, these are these are ones I need to cultivate to do well. Yeah, I think that probably speaks to a large portion of our audience and to our, our, our community because, you know, we're inherently, we're all, obviously we're humans and so we're all relational creatures. But um, I think all of us, particularly in the realm of masculinity and connecting with other men, I think there is this heightened either an awareness or, or potentially a need as well to connect with other men. And I think it blurs, the boundaries can be blurred. And we've had plenty of conversations in our community about proper boundaries and knowing where you begin and where the other person ends and vice versa. And so um, I know those those ones that you just mentioned um, are very important to um, to develop good boundaries and to to take care of yourself. Like it's not a bad thing to make good decisions for yourself that maybe other people would disagree with or have strong feelings about, but you have to, as they say, put the mask on yourself. As in the airplane mask, you know, we're in a COVID era now where your thoughts might've gone to <laughs> to another type of mask, but um, the oxygen mask, you gotta put it on yourself before you can help other people. Yeah, if you, if you try to put a COVID mask on somebody <laughs> else, I'm, I'm not sure how they'd respond, depending on what part of the country. I was going to say, you're in the Here's heart of mask. Mis- if you're going to be in Mississippi, may not be a good decision, but maybe other parts of the country be more more, more well-received. Um, so yeah, for me, equanimity is big. It's the virtue of the four. And I think it's learning balance. It's learning that I have emotions. I am not emotions. So I'm allowed to feel sad. I'm allowed to feel angry. But... Am I, is it proper to let those feelings dictate everything about my life? No. Um, And I think becoming more grounded in my body, like that's a part of growth for equanimity. Like that's why I joke about CrossFit so much or I have a bicycle now. Um, I don't do CrossFit anymore, but I I ride my bicycle and I literally had this moment yesterday. This is total self-affirmation. I was biking to therapy yesterday and I had this awareness in my body that like, wow, I'm feeling the breeze. I'm pumping my legs. I'm active in my body. I'm going physically to a place. You know, I don't have a car right now and there's a lot of inconvenience and frustration that comes with not having a car, but something I'm really grateful for this time and however long this season of my life is without a car, to be able to have a bicycle and to use my body to get me somewhere. You know, you have to use your body to get in a car too. I recognize that, but the car's doing most of the work. Um, meanwhile, I'm doing the work on this on this machine to get to therapy where I then do work on my mind and my heart. Like it was just a beautiful moment. Like I'm so grateful um, in those moments where I recognize my body, that I have a body. I'm not just a, an amorphous blob of emotion. Like I have a body and it all feeds into that value, that virtue of equanimity. So, so that's one that definitely of all the nine jumps out um, a lot to me. Of course, I've mentioned non-attachment um, with the five and, and realizing there is no impending impoverishment, like being more present, especially present with people, um, not being as, um, well, greedy for lack of a better word, not being as greedy with my time, being more generous with my time. Which I think Yab, to be fair, I think Yab really helps me get out of that because I set up these Zoom calls and and we're planning a retreat possibly right now. So like there's a lot of, um, you know, other centered energy happening with all of that. So um, so I know that's something that Yab has helped me climb out of my bubble in a lot of ways when I might be more inclined to isolate. So the virtue of 
humility. I talked about earlier that, again, my ambiguity, um, I don't identify now as much with, with pride, you know, the need to be important to people. Although once upon a time I did, and that's, you know, at least in part because I feel a lot more secure in my, in my relationships and who I am as a person. Um, I don't constantly need the affirmation of other people to know that I matter to them. Um, you know, I think a lot of people in our community can identify with the idea of, oh, that person, they didn't text me back. They didn't message me back. Did I do something? Did I say something? As opposed to the oh, they're probably just busy or, you know, if I ever don't message you back, it's because you messaged me when I was driving or doing something else. And once the notification is gone, you know, with my ADHD brain, I'm going to forget that you messaged me, even though I'm like, oh, I got to come back to this later. You know, it's not because I hate you. Um, Letting go of the belief that the people around me don't value me just because uh, there's not an immediate response or, you know, regular interaction. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah, that's so good. I I'm looking at all the lists because I, I I as we finish this conversation today, Ben, I'm like I want to make sure we gave enough shout out, enough love to all of the types. And so obviously we've talked a bunch about two, six, nine, and four because that's kind of where we we center along the most. And I'm looking at the list. So like we talked about anger. Um, you know, that's, I'm trying to like make sure we talked about each type enough. So like there's anger there. We talked about pride and humility, self-deceit, veracity. So just being authentic. Um, I referenced that a little bit. We got envy and equanimity. We've got avarice, non-attachment, fear and courage. I don't, have we touched on innocence much is the one yeah. that I'm looking at going, we haven't really talked yeah, about that. Yeah, no, that's, that it looks to me like that's kind of where we've not talked about a lot so in this like sobriety lust innocence which is an uncomfortable place to go if i'm honest <laughs> i'm like you know what we're good let's not talk about lust or, or sobriety or innocence because like there's a lot of me you know we have this this is like super behind the scenes you know like there on our discord we had um somebody bring up the concept of what if your sexuality was an enneagram type like not you but like what if your sexuality was an enneagram type and that was such a fun thought experiment for me. And honestly, I mean, it's, I think it's why I want to be a seven when I grow up, because I honestly see so much of a seven in my sexuality um, without being specific, but it's this need for more. It's that it's never satisfied. There's always this desire for more experience, more people, more men. Um, and there's this thing that spirals out of control, if I'm honest. And and then to use the language of sobriety, which to recap that description, it's being grounded in the moment. It's not being distracted. It's not running to the next jolt of excitement or, or interest. Um, I think a lot of that, you know, I've never struggled with physical hookups, but I've struggled with virtual ones. And I think um, it's that rush of energy to find someone new, to, to interact, to connect with, to exploit, to use that language. Um, and I think sobriety is the ability to, you know, I love how it ends the description, coming home to a deeper part of the self. Um, I had someone describe it to me once as like being able to be comfortable alone, to be comfortable with yourself and to not need the next jolt, the next exciting thing, which feeds a lot into lust, into the, the, the intensity aspect, because I think that's driven by a desire for excess, a desire for intensity. So, so there's a lot in there that it warrants its own episode if we were going to dive into my life, but I know there's a lot in there that that speaks to me. Feel mildly convicted. The idea, hmm, coming home to yourself and not not needing to be around other people. What? 
Oh dear. We need, which we do need other people. So again, all of this is a nuanced conversation about balance, the right ratio. But I know for me in sexuality land, it can just be, again, sometimes I'm boy crazy. And sometimes I just got to like, take a deep breath, go for a walk and like, do some read a book, you know, it's like, there's, there's, I don't need men around me 24 seven as much as sometimes I think I do. So that's, that's, that's a convicting one. I think Part of it, you know, is is going through seasons when I have regular interactions, you know, with with other with other men in close relationship. Um, probably not feeling like I need, you know, I need that connection as much. Like there's not a negative draw. There's not a a gluttonous draw because I feel like I have enough. I have what I need. Um, you know, and like right now, you know, where we've moved, we we have more community, we have more people that we're able to, to interact with um, in life-giving ways. Yeah, maybe that's a season of life thing and, and how how much are we getting poured into yeah. to have enough. Yeah, the coming home to yourself is, is a wonderful, wonderful line, again, that, that just... I hope it's a, I hope it's a good way to close out this entire series, this episode, this series. Like I hope, um, you know, as we as we tie the bow for now on this Enneagram topic, um, the hope is that you know whatever we talked about, whether you landed on a type or not, that um, that you can start to find yourself at home more and more as you become more self aware, um, as you're able to take care of yourself and thus hopefully take care of others, pour into others and learning the proper balance, the proper ratio of how to do that. You know, something my therapist said actually just this week was super convicting to me. He was like, Tom, you're one of the lucky ones. You're one of the fortunate ones who gets it, but that's also the curse of it all is that you get it. And it's, it's something that I've had that thought many times before. Like it can be an amazing thing to have self-awareness, to gain self-awareness, to grow in self-awareness. But then the flip side of that is then you see, you see people who aren't self-aware, who aren't practicing good things and growing. Yeah, you see how much work you need to do and you get frustrated by like other people who aren't doing the work or putting in the same work that you're doing. And it's this blessing and a curse. Like it's a good thing to grow. I think it's a good thing to go to therapy, get counseling, um, to meet with a pastor, to practice accountability. Like all of these are great things. If you have a sponsor, if you're in recovery, like these are all amazing practices and tools. Um, but then the flip side of that is like you start to see the world and you start to peel back the layers of the world and the people around you. Um, and it can be very hard. It can be very frustrating if you feel like other people aren't as invested um, in this journey of growth. So it, it's, it's a, it requires just a proper perspective. Like I think it's good. I think it's good to grow. Um, but then also show people grace and just recognize that we're all trying to figure out how to be human. We're all doing it for the first time. We're all learning how to be human together. Um, and so I think the Enneagram is a great tool to start to, to piece that together. And I've just, if I haven't said it enough, I've thoroughly enjoyed all my guests, including Ben today, whatever type he is. Uh, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad to just process all of this with you. It's been such a rewarding, rewarding series throughout the last couple months. So, so thank you, everybody. Just to kind of bounce off of that a little bit, the idea of showing other people grace. I mean, I think one of the things in our community, people do a lot of self-work. Well, at least I feel like they do. Um, there's a lot of conversations around you know, how people got where they are, what their personality types are, and why, the why behind it. So people are naturally kind of you know, called to do self-reflection. But um, I, I've got a quote here. 
that I think is, is pretty relevant. The idea that a lot of people in our community and not just our community in general in the world have been through some level of trauma. So this is a quote from Mark Goulston. He's a psychiatrist. Um, trauma shatters your most basic assumptions about yourself and your world. Life is good. I'm safe. People are kind. I can trust others. The future is likely to be good and replaces them with feelings like the world is dangerous. I can't win. I can't trust other people. So, you know, some of these, these trauma responses reflect back on the, the vices um, and those other statements, life is good, I'm safe, people are kind, I can trust others, tend to point to the virtues. For a lot of people, I think we get stuck in the vices, perhaps because we haven't worked through our own trauma, the things that, you know, have kind of helped shape where we are. And when we begin to work through that, when we begin to heal, we're able to get back to those statements of life is good, I'm safe, people are kind, I can trust them. So yeah, the idea that we all need to do a little bit of self-work, we need to understand who we are, how we got here, but also recognizing that where we are right now doesn't mean that we have to stay here. We can learn, we can grow, we can get healthier. Um, you know, God puts us in community for a reason. Uh, we've got people to walk alongside us. God uses his word, he uses his people, he uses his spirit. And he's still doing a work in all of us. And because he's doing a work in all of us, definitely show grace like you would want to be shown grace. Amen and amen. That's beautiful. What a great way. What a great way to end this all. I'm curious. I'm curious if our, if our series, our 11, I think it was 11 episodes, if I'm counting correctly, 11 episodes about the Enneagram. If, uh, if any of it particularly spoke to you, if any, if any of it was meaningful, including this episode today, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what struck a chord in you. What did you particularly enjoy about this series? Or, um, or on the flip side, if, if it, anything convicted you, or if you have anything to, um, I don't know, confess feels like a very scary Christian word, but if there's anything that you just feel challenged by and you want to share that as well, please go to our podcast page, yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast, find this episode, um, the Enneagram question mark episode, and um, and share us a story because I just have loved, thank you to everyone who's commented throughout the series and, and shared your thoughts and all the Zoom calls we've had, all the feedback, so much feedback from the Yabbers. Um, it's just been so great. It's been so great. This has been like our first definitive showing. Like we've had feedback and voicemails and things going back many episodes now, but by and large, like this series, 11 episodes, like by far the most team effort we've ever had putting together a podcast production. And so I'm just, this, this kind of podcast would not have been possible two years ago, three years ago, I don't think. So like the fact that we have the community that we have now and such a wealth of perspective and experience to draw from is just, it was just such a beautiful thing. Again, to see how we're all similar, see how we're all different and how can we learn from one another, show each other grace. Um, I've been so, so impressed and pleased with our community. So thank you, Yabbers. I heart you. I heart you so bad. <laughs> um, I think it's going to do it, Ben. Ben, I'm so glad you could join us in your quasi two-ish, six-ish, nine-ish self. Like it was a delight to have so many types represented here today. 
Yeah, this has been uh, <laughs> good self-reflection. And at the same time, I, I, I don't feel like I'm any closer to saying yes, I'm this type <laughs> okay. or this type or this type. So. I was hoping I was going to open the floor and be like, I'm let get let you announce your type now. But that's fine. Definitely it, otter. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> that's another episode. That's another topic series. Um, uh, We'll be back soon, you guys. The next podcast you hear will not be a combo cast. It'll be a Yob cast. And so we'll get back into that rhythm. Episode 100 is coming. Still have no idea what we're doing yet for 100, but I'm sure the Lord will reveal that to us in no time. He'll speak to my gut or, or Ben's gut or somebody, whoever is proficient in gut intelligence, maybe they'll have an idea of what that 100th episode will look like. So stay tuned. Y'all, until we cast our not any a convo, see you next time. Bye, friends. Bye, guys.